Good morning. Welcome to All People's Church of Arizona. In this morning's message, Pastor Denise will begin a multi-part study of the armor of God. Today's introductory message is entitled, True Spiritual Warfare. Let's join her now as she takes us deeper into God's holy word. Before I even start, I want to say that I don't enjoy too much talking about the subject I'm going to talk about today. <laughs> because it's about spiritual warfare. But the reason we're diving in is because I'm really working my way to, to talking about the armor of God. Most of my information comes from the Bible and from this book, Dressed to Kill, by Rick Renner. I would call it a Christian college book. There's no way that I can go through everything in this book, so I just try to hit the highlights. But I will tell you that when I read this book, or most of this book, 98% of this book, he delves into Greek words and definitions and all that when he represents scriptures. And I looked every one of them up. And the reason I did is because I wanted to make sure that what he was saying was true according to the Bible. I don't just do, didn't just do this for him. I do this for Christian books that I read. I look up the scriptures that are quoted. I get my own Bible out, check it out. If I have a doubt, I try to run references. And I do that because when I find a book I think is good, I want it to be truth to. Different Christians might think deeper or less deep about spiritual warfare. And so what I'm going to tell you right up front is I'm open for all discussion at the end. And I'm just going to teach according to what I feel like Rick Renner taught is the truth. And it's okay if someone might feel differently than me. That, that's okay. I just want to throw out what I consider biblical truth, at least in some cases. And when I don't really know, I'm going to tell you I don't really know. I wanted to skip this first chapter that I'm teaching, but after I thought about it, I thought, no, because we talk about the armor of God and what is the armor of God and how does it help us in our Christian life. So this is going to be the introduction and it'll be a few weeks worth of teaching, but we'll get there because he has some really good stuff about the armor of God in the book. He did a lot of research about what the Roman army, what their armor was when Paul wrote the scriptures about the armor of God, how the Roman soldiers used the pieces of armor and how it relates to us as a Christian. So here we go. I just checked on the internet for the definition of spiritual warfare, and it equals the Christian concept of fighting against work of preternatural, or which means existing outside of nature, and this uses spiritual forces. So the Christian concept of us fighting against other spiritual sources, namely Satan, or other spiritual sources. And before I move into my, the, the body of what I want to say, I want to read from Ephesians 6, and I'll start with verse 11, and we'll go down through 18 or 20. We'll see how it rolls when I go. I'm in the New King James Version, Ephesians 6, beginning with 10. Finally, my brethren, I'm reading, I want to read it because I want to put emphasis on a few things here. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, 
against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, or I guess I would say having done all this, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, Paul is saying, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. At the beginning, the emphasis that I want to put into the scripture this morning, and I know we'll read these scriptures several times during the next few weeks. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What the scripture says to me, I think the emphasis is be strong in the Lord, put on his armor, be strong in the power of his might. Because if we're strong in the Lord, if we're strong in God's power, and we put on God's armor, which we're going to learn about in the future weeks, we will be able to withstand when I read this about uh, not wrestling against flesh and blood, I believe that's true in the sense that there's a lot of sinful influence in this world, evil influence. And I don't know so much about, you know, demons and stuff in the heavens, but I know we see where we live right now. We see the world we live in. We see the influence of different thinking, sinful thinking, and sinful things happening. So I think... It takes God's strength for us to stand. So we're going to learn how to do that. In the body of Christ, from time to time, the subject of spiritual warfare becomes popular. It almost becomes a fad. It comes and goes. It may not completely never be taught, but over the years of me serving God, I've seen it happen, come and go. I, some things that I've just heard some things, let me say that, from years and years back about how different people feel like they needed to pray or, or really, let me say more like, we did this and we did that, some off-the-wall things, feeling like they were fighting Satan when maybe they just needed to pray. Personally, I think maybe some of these things that were told to me, maybe people were spending more time talking to Satan and talking to God, trying to fight the spiritual warfare. So that's what we want to avoid. We want to spend our time concentrating on God. There's good and bad, I think, learning about spiritual warfare. And I'm getting almost all this information from the book, but again, I'm sort of teaching what he says, but I don't, I'm not going to teach anything. There are things in this book I don't agree with everything 100%, so 
I won't teach it like I do. But I do believe and agree that there's good and bad of this, of knowing about spiritual warfare or what. I think it's a, maybe a coined Christian term, spiritual warfare. The good is, it's good to know exactly what is spiritual warfare so we can remain biblically correct in our beliefs. Because um, if we're biblically correct in our beliefs, the effect, then our effectual fervent prayers, righteous men will avail much in the Lord. It's good to know how the devil works and does he really have any power. Second Corinthians 2 verse 11, Paul is talking about forgiving others. In this scripture, he, he precedes what I'm about to read about forgiving others and how it's good to forgive others. And he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we know there are things in our life, according to this scripture, that we can sort of ignore or can be taken advantage of if, if we don't follow God's word. The bad about spiritual warfare is that if we don't understand it, or, or maybe it's not taught properly, it can stifle us, it can devastate us. Because it's a, the idea of being in war and fighting against Satan is really a subject that can, it will capture people's attention, but it can capture some people's attention so much that they have a hard time thinking of anything else or living in this world. Uh, maybe they begin to believe that everything is from the devil or not, or everything that happens is because Satan causes it to happen. But the Bible also teaches us that things happen to the just and the unjust, and that we do have tribulation in this world. So things, sometimes things just happen. Sometimes it might be a little bit deeper than that. So we have to just not allow the ideology of Satan fighting against us to cause us to become paralyzed or unable to function normally in life. I used to hear uh, when I was growing up, there was this idea that you could be so spiritually minded that you're not any worldly good. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard that. And a lot of times it was said about people who are really growing closer to God. But, but on the other hand, we do have to get that, keep that balance, let God help us keep that balance in our life. Everything is not from the devil. Sometimes things just happen in this world. If we get caught up in that, we get stifled in our spiritual growth because we, we don't want to spend so much time praying against Satan instead of working on ourselves with God's help. And that's where we're about to go. We're going to talk about what the New Testament talks about spiritual warfare here in a minute. Hebrews 12.1, God tells us, that there are things that we have to do in our own spiritual life, and that's the idea we're going to work on today. Hebrews 11 is what they call the Hall of Faith scripture, where we learn about a lot of people, all the, many people from the Old Testament, and how their faith helped them to withstand and to be strong in the Lord. And then Hebrews 12:1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about all these men in the Old Testament and women in the Old Testament, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
if we get too caught up in spending time thinking Satan is causing everything, then we don't have time to work on things in our own life. Whereas even right here in Hebrews, God tells us that we need to work on our lives. We need to work on getting things out of our life that are easy for us to fall into. Sins, it's easy for us to fall into. We have a job to do too. And so we're to put this sin out of our life. It's our job to work on on that with God's help, instead of rebuking the devil when we sin, like like I've seen, you know, the devil made me do it and that kind of stuff, when really we're responsible for our own salvation. There's a scripture that says, work out your own salvation in the Lord. Daryl, would you read Ephesians 2.10 and then go ahead and read Ephesians 4.32. We're going to look at a couple more things, examples of things that we're supposed to do in our own life. That's not really spiritual warfare, but what we have to do. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So God has created some good works for us, or we're created in Jesus, let me say that the right way, to do good works, which God prepared beforehand. God knows what's good for us to walk and he knows what's good for us to do okay we're responsible to be kind to others and to forgive others when we're hurt by others no matter who or what caused it I guess I should say and it's not easy but it's something that God asked us to do Luke 6 31 says that just as whatever we want others to do to us we're to do to them likewise so we're to treat others kindly. So Hebrews 13.5, would you read that, Virginia? Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we, we need to work on being content and we can ask God to help us to be content in our area of lives with what we have and be careful what we fall in love with. In this case, Falling in love with money can lead us down a wrong path when we can forget the Lord and think we're doing it all ourselves. And then Colossians 3, 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If you are raised with Christ, then seek the things that have to do with Christ. And there's a reason I'm going through these scriptures, and, and I th- hope it'll be explained a little further here in a minute, because the Old Testament does have a lot of examples of warfare. If you read through the Old Testament, a lot of that history are battles and fights and wars, and I'm coming after you and you attacked me. I mean, it's an eye-opener, and it's interesting to read. But the New Testament does use the words war, and it uses warfare five times. But in each of those times that the New Testament uses one of these words, it's referring to us and not fighting the devil. And I found that really interesting, and indeed I did check that before I accepted that. I would like for us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to look at two examples here that I think are the most the best examples. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. So 2 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 3, says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The idea behind warring in this scripture is a mental battle that we have in ourselves. That's the idea that it's really portraying. It means it's a job, it's a hard job at times for us to take our thoughts into captivity. How many of you have ever had your thoughts just run away with you? I have and get on a, a train track, mental train track, and you have to work to not go there sometimes or to not just continue. It could be a mental train track of guilt when we know in the knowledge of God, we know we're forgiven. Could be a mental train track of unforgiveness when we know God tells us to forgive and it's very hard to forgive. That's one of the areas that I work hard on and conquer only with God's help. You know, things that just want to take root in our lives, you know, aggravation, irritation, being offended by others, just anything, you know, for overcoming something in our life. You know, sometimes it's like, I want that, I want that, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. I recently had a battle like that because there is a book that's been on market since 2010 by, a, apparently, I've heard it's a good author, and the idea, the plot of this book, <laughs> it's something I want to read. And I struggled, especially when I was in Florida, and when it was trying to find something to read, and I saw this particular book again, but I knew that it had stuff, things in this book that were displeasing to God. And I felt like within myself, I could not read that. And then in my own self, I couldn't read that book and then have to ask the Lord to forgive me. And I battled for a solid week over wanting to read that book. I thought about that book. I wanted to read that book. I tried to find a way around the things that were in that book and how could I do it? So I really had a mental battle there, but praise God, he helped me to just say no. I'm not bragging about that to me because I had even told Jerry when I came home, I said, I battled the whole week because I wanted to read this book, but I didn't. But it's hard to let go of the thinking that values the things and the ways of this world. No matter where we are in our spiritual walk, there are still times where the world is going to come at us. And and the sinful influences of the world are going to come out, come at us, and we're going to struggle with that. But God's power can really break this over us. It's God's power that helps us to move on. And that's what Corinthians 10 is talking about. I feel certain that we're not, we're walking in this world, we're walking in this flesh, but our battle sometimes has to do with the evil influences that are in the world. Our battle has to do with desires that even inside of us because we're all born into sin before we're saved. Martin Luther King talks about he, and his idea about thoughts and taking our thoughts captivity, he's actually the one who said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. We have brains, we're going to think thoughts, but we're the ones that are responsible to keep those thoughts from, from digging in the best that we can. Spiritual war refers to a person making an immovable decision to take charge of his mind and take the thoughts of his mind captive. That's a quote from this book, page 40. A person making an immovable decision, basically within yourself, that you will take charge of your mind 
and take your thoughts captive. So that's what spiritual warfare is in this situation. I'm going to move on. I'm going to try to move a little quicker through here. James chapter 4. Jerry, would you read John from John 16? James chapter 4, verses 1 through, feet through 3. James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. This is talking again about our battle with our flesh, not our battle, not a battle with the devil. This is talking about some carnal desire for pleasure, your desires for pleasure that war in your members. There are certain pleasures that appeal to us in our, within our own selves. It talks about fighting with covetousness. Sometimes it's easy to look at other things or other people and want that, whether it's a book or whatever. And, and, they, and he was talking to a people who they were fighting with covetousness, but yet they couldn't get what they wanted. If they got what they wanted, they weren't satisfied. They wanted more. And it led to them having conflict with other people in the church or other people they knew. And James is even saying that even our prayers can become selfish if we're not careful because we can ask selfishly just wanting to have our pleasures fulfilled. And that is a spiritual battle for us, warring within ourselves again. The same idea, and I won't read it, but the same idea is repeated in 1 Peter 2:11. if you are interested in that scripture to look up later. Uh, Jerry, would you read John 16, verse 7 and 8? We're going to talk about how warfare begins within us. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, sometimes warfare begins in our life because the Holy Spirit is faithful to convict us concerning areas of our lives that we need to repent of and change. And it's our responsibility to obey God and put these areas to death in our life. And what Jerry just read in John 16 is that the Holy Spirit does convict us of our sin. Daryl, would you read in Romans 8, verse 12 and 13? Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we're debtors to live according to how the Spirit leads us. Virginia, would you read Hebrews 12, 1? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay, so we have things that want to hinder us, and when the Holy Spirit brings it to our attention, we throw it off. It's our responsibility. Sometimes spiritual warfare begins in our life because it's hard for us to do that, or we may choose not to, th not to put aside those things, or we may fail to obey God when, when the Holy Spirit convicts us. We cannot shift the blame for that, to someone else or anything else or not even really an attack from the enemy when it's when it's a situation that's our responsibility to obey god the truth is 
If we refuse to deal with an area of our life that the Holy Spirit is telling us or that according to God's word we know to deal with, then we're going to have, we're open to have big spiritual battles in that area of our lives. We need to eventually pass the test. My experience has been if I fail the test, I generally get to go back through it as many times as it takes for me to pass it. Maybe not immediately, but you can be sure that down the road you get to do that test again. Uh, There have been times that I've really stopped and said, oh God, help me pass this test. I don't ever want to do this one again. So we have spiritual battles in, in ourselves is what I'm trying to say. It's over our, it's really when our flesh wants to do something that our spirit knows is wrong according to the Bible. I'm going to look on this and read an example real quick. And this will be, I don't know if you're going to get the book, but it's from page 44. And he gives examples of us versus the Satan or us versus what the Holy Spirit is telling us. One of his examples is that you can declare that the enemy is trying to make you sick or afflict you with sickness. But if you don't take care of yourself, in your eating or overworking or pushing yourself constantly beyond your limits, then you are going to be sick. Your body's not going to be able to ward off sicknesses. We have to get our, our bodies, take care of ourselves. A person can continue to pray and feel like their marriage is under attack, but if they don't interact with their spouse correctly, speaking kindly, spending time with them, working hard to make marriage a priority in their lives and their attitude toward their spouse. They're not being attacked, they're just not being smart. And there are many, many other ideas and instances we could think of, but those were two that I thought, he's just saying there are common sense things that happen in our lives too. You know, if you do this, then this happens. Now I'm gonna tell you that some people, including Rick Renner, believes that the enemy really does personally attack us. I'm not exactly sure of this. I've read, read, read all the scriptures about it. I'm not exactly sure what I think of this, so I'm not gonna talk about it because anything I talk about, I want it to be the truth from God's word. But I do know the Bible does say that we will have tribulation in this world. And that's from John chapter 16, if you're interested. Whether the enemy attacks us or not personally, our responsibility, no matter whether he does or not, is just to trust God and to believe in God. Second Timothy 4.18, Paul has, has sent a letter to Timothy talking about Timothy's ministry. And Paul talks a little bit about himself to Timothy. And in this scripture in 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul says, verse 16, Paul talks about how everybody pretty much just left him. No one stood with him when he was defending himself in the gospel of God. But Paul says, the Lord stood with me in verse 17 and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I feel like, I don't know for sure, but I think it might've been a physical thing he was talking about might have been an attack, but he said, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom 
To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So no matter if he was talking about Satan attacking him personally or not, he's still acknowledging that God will deliver him. He's training his thoughts on the Lord. He's trusting God. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, we're told that the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. So we just keep walking with God no matter what happens in our life. We give God all of our attention, and it's good for us to spend less time worried about whether it's a personal attack from Satan, but just to trust God and keep moving forward, because that's what we're going to... The end result is that eventually we're going to trust God and move forward anyway. Uh, so spiritual warfare is not a momentary, just big gust of emotion to frighten the devil away. I have a, a devotion from Joyce Meyer about spiritual warfare. I just Googled Joyce Meyer spiritual warfare. But she says you're waging spiritual warfare when you give radical praise to God in the midst of your need and your lack. When you are thankful to God for all he has done and is doing, you're defeating the enemy. When you hold your peace in the middle of a storm, you're warring with spiritual weapons. And she refers you to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 for that. And then she says, there may be times when it seems that you just cannot go forward, but at least you don't have to go backward. You may not know how to forge ahead, but you can stand firmly on what you know about God. So instead of passively yielding to the enemy, you, say, you can say, this is the ground I have gained, and I'm not giving it up. And you can just determine that Satan is not going to push you back, but God's going to pull you out of what you're in. So I like that idea. Praise, worship, believe God, read his word. Okay, so spiritual warfare is a determined and committed attitude in our minds to move forward in God. Obey God, listen to the Holy Spirit and what he says. It doesn't mean that you want, saying that it's not a momentary gust of emotion to frighten Satan away, that doesn't mean that you won't have times in your life and in your prayer time that you won't pray fervently or pray in, in tongues or pray in the Holy Spirit about things. And you, do, you can and do get emotional. It just means that, that our spiritual warfare is more than than just not really doing that. It's just trusting God and moving forward and worshiping God and thinking about God's promises to us. I'm almost done here. Spiritual warfare is, again, a determined and committed attitude on our part to move forward in God, to obey God, listen to the Holy Spirit, and live for God. Paul tells us, he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about all the things he went through in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He was beaten by the Jews. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night in the ocean. You might remember, I think that's from Acts. He, he says he was in perils in perils from his own countrymen. He was in perils from the Gentiles. He was in perils in the city, in the wilderness. He just went through a lot to, to make sure that we knew about God's grace and God's mercy. He says he was weary. He was sleepless often. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He fasted a lot. He was cold. 
But then he says, and beside other things, what came on me every day was my deep concern for all the churches. So he endured a lot in his life. But what, he, what did he do? He still concentrated on the positive and what God had done for him. Because in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, we're hard pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. God has not forsaken us. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And that happens to us sometimes in our lives. We, we may endure a, a huge blow, but we're not destroyed because God lifts us up and holds us up. So Paul talked about what had happened to him as he served Christ. He delivered his message of God's grace to the church, but he didn't really elaborate on fighting spiritual warfare too much. He just talked more about God, mercy, grace, peace. Paul closely followed the Lord, and he diligently obeyed God. And that was Paul's it was Paul's personal consecration, personal consecration to the Lord that was his greatest defense against the enemy. Paul's personal consecration to the Lord was his greatest defense against the enemy. So he had made up his mind already that he was gonna serve God and trust God. He went through a lot of things in his Christian walk, but he still concentrated on God's protection and the positive outcomes. So in conclusion, I'm gonna read another couple of things from this book and then we'll be done. This is gonna be from page 53 and it's about Paul. The author says, although Paul was outwardly buffeted, he was never attacked to the point of personal failure. He lived, he lived the crucified life and was thus dead to sin. Nothing in Paul cooperated with the devil's devices and temptations. Thus, Paul's personal holiness paralyzed the devil's ability to make him fail morally. We could thus conclude from a study of Paul's life that he was a person impossible to be completely destroyed if you live a sanctified and consecrated life. Most attacks would be totally avoided if sin and wrong attitudes are not permitted in a believer's life. And then there's another, pair, another bit I want to read to you on page 55. Sometimes people tend, I'm, I'm putting this sometimes in there, people tend to look for cure-all solutions that don't make them look at their own flaws or deal with their own flesh. This is often why it, they flock to teachings or methods that offer relatively simple solutions to difficult lifelong problems. Holding fast to God's word and applying its principles to their lives seems to take too long. And, and it's true, it does seem to take too long in our lives and maybe be more difficult to do because God's word requires a person to live a crucified life. Romans tells us to put to death those things in our life that are sinful. God's word demands that we repent of our own thought life and that we seek to conform to the image of Jesus. So there's not really, and he goes on to say, there's not really an easy solution to our life and to concerning spiritual warfare. We can't really, I, I think, let me say it like Joyce Meyer said it one time, I heard her say, you can get in prayer line after prayer line after prayer line and have people pray for you and that's really, really good, but you have to get into God's word to be victorious. 
And I agree with that. And I think that's true. We won't dwell on this. We're going to move on to the armor of God and talk about that in the history of the armor of God. But that concludes what I have to say. Amen. Amen. This message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The first and most important step to eternal life through Jesus is to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. It is an act of the will. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20.31, But these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of his Son was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation, so say to God what is really in your heart. Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. As noted above, it is as easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. Contact me by Facebook Messenger or by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com for more information or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you. This concludes our message for today.